Welcome to a special Talking Feds Now episode. I'm Harry Littman. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Yesterday, Attorney General William Barr issued a press release saying that the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Jeffrey Berman, was resigning. DOJ alums read resigning with a grain of salt and inferred that Berman was being unceremoniously sacked because of something to do with the investigations his office, traditionally the most powerful and independent of the 94 U.S. Attorney's offices, was pursuing that came too close to Trump and his circle. It seemed one more disheartening instance of what John Bolton in his new book calls, quote, obstruction of justice as a way of life, close quote, as investigators approach solid proof of malfeasance by Trump or Stone or Trump charity or Trump organization, Bill Barr is ready to put the DOJ boot on the investigation's neck. What nobody anticipated was Berman's comeback a few hours later in which he said, contrary to Barr, he had not resigned. He was in his office through the power of the court, not DOJ, and most pointedly, that he was sticking around to see the investigations through. That instantly turned everything surreal. It was a move that was equal parts cheeky and thrilling, leaving the Attorney General and the most powerful U.S. Attorney in a high-stakes standoff. The pushback in favor of the rule of law and the continuation of the investigations involving the President felt like an electrifying move by the trapped hero in a movie. But DOJ alums also appreciated the kind of serious trouble Berman might be buying with this rebel move and were not at all surprised when Saturday afternoon Barr wrote Berman a letter chastising him and saying that Trump had fired him and by operation of law installed his deputy, Audrey Strauss. And then... Just after our recording, Berman issued a new statement saying that since Barr had installed Audrey Strauss, his second in command in the U.S. attorney's position, he, Berman, would be leaving. So for now, Audrey Strauss is at the helm. That's not good enough for Barr and Trump because she is a solid career prosecutor. They'll still need, if they want to really suppress the investigations, to get their hand-picked person in there. For example, Jay Clayton, whom Barr had moved to nominate yesterday. What a tangled web we weave. All in all, The occasion screams out for a talking feds now with expert commentators and old hands from the DOJ, and we have an ideal group to try to analyze this topsy-turvy, super high-stakes situation. Beginning with Barb McQuaid, the former U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, before that a longtime AUSA, and currently a professor from practice at the University of Michigan Law School. Thanks for being with us, Barb. Hi, Harry. Thanks for having me. Matt Miller, partner at Villanovo and former director of the Office of Public Affairs for the Department of Justice. Welcome, Matt, as always. Hi, Harry. And finally, 
Andrew Weissman, a distinguished senior fellow at NYU Law School. He was, as everyone knows, a integral member of Robert Mueller's special counsel's office. Before that, he was chief of the criminal fraud section in the Department of Justice, and before then, a assistant U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of New York, where he spearheaded many high-profile investigations. Andrew, thanks for being here. All right, let's just start here. Last night, a lot of DOJ alums, including me, were uh, saying how incredibly unusual and extraordinary this was. Our heads were turning 360 degrees, but of course that's happened before. Now the next day, as you look at it, is this a fairly unusual situation or a completely crazy, surreal, unprecedented one? So I'll take a crack at that. This is Andrew. Um, I I think it's, it's really hard given what uh, every day uh, in the last three years, uh, I think a lot of people say it really can't get any crazier. Um, so it's very hard to be surprised by what happened. But for, for people who are not steeped in the norms of how the Department of Justice works, this is, um, this is pretty darn crazy. Um, and it was pretty darn crazy just when we learned the manner in which uh, Jeffrey Berman was resigning uh, purportedly in a summary fashion and an acting U.S. attorney from New Jersey was going to take over. And the person who was being uh, nominated had zero criminal experience um, and had never done, you know, was not even really a litigator. That was in and of itself quite unusual. And then to find out from Jeffrey Berman that the press release that came out, according to Jeffrey Berman, was the first time he had ever heard that he was stepping down, meaning he was flatly accusing Barr of, to put it charitably, dissembling. Um, so this is this is pretty out there. I was going to say I don't know I don't know if it's unprecedented, Harry. Um, I think back to the early days of the Trump administration. You may recall that President Trump asked Preet Bharara to stay on as U.S. attorney, and then in March. He fired all of the Obama U.S. attorneys, including me, and Preet Bharara said, I'm not going. Or you know, He asked them to resign, and Preet Bharara said, I'm not going, you'll have to fire me. And, and so he did. Um, the situation, of course, was very different because those were Obama appointees. In this instance, Jeffrey Berman is a Trump appointee, but what's really unusual is it, it's the court that appointed Jeffrey Berman, and so it's not clear that William Barr can ask him to leave. It's not even clear that President Trump can fire him, although if Trump can fire him, I think that only the court can replace him. So um, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, it might be not unprecedented, but a little bit of a repreet. <laughs> so I, I was going to say the, the, the difference it, between... Uh, what happened at the beginning of the administration, obviously, other than that, though, you know, those were holdover U.S. attorneys is 
neither Preet nor uh, any of the other U.S. attorneys at that time, at least to our knowledge, were investigating Trump's personal attorney, as the, the Southern District of New York currently is. They hadn't previously investigated Trump's business and his uh, previous personal attorney, Michael Cohen. So there's a big difference in here in that we know that this office has previously investigated the president, is currently investigating one of his top associates, and may be investigating him. And that's the thing that I think it makes it um, so much different than previous firings. And the other thing I'll add, um, Andrew made a good point about the person they uh, claim they're going to nominate to to the job, the the head of the SEC. But I actually think the the thing that's more troubling is not so much the appointment, but the fact that they intend to bring the the sitting U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey in to serve as the acting U.S. attorney. Because what that tells me, you know, usually you would just have the number two in that office serve as the acting until someone was confirmed. But that tells me they're trying to run a play like they ran in the D.C. office, where you can bring someone in who is more loyal to Barr, more loyal to the president. And the, the, the U.S. attorney in New Jersey certainly fits that bill. He's a Chris Christie protege um, who can sit on the heads of, of the people in that office and try to prevent them from moving forward on uh, things that they, they might be trying to do that the president and the attorney general don't like. To follow up on what Matt said, um, you know, one thing that I don't think any of us know is What's the reason for doing this? In other words, why now? Um, that's something that uh, obviously people within the department know, but we're speculating. But one thing to follow up on Matt's point that is glaring is not just this idea that um, not having the number two in the office take over. But if you look at the two offices that um, where we've seen this happen, D.C., and the Southern District of New York, and what are the two offices that were inheriting work from and continuing the work from the Mueller investigation? And that is DC and the Southern District of New York. So it it's it starts looking like um, not that hard to put the pieces together as to what is going on by the attorney general trying to take control over what is happening in those two offices. And I I think that's right. It's not just the playbook for D.C. It's the playbook throughout government. They've done it again and again. It was part of the impeachment. It was part this week with the taking over of the press office. You, you get out everybody who's a career person and put in the political lackey to do your, your bidding. But I, I want to double back. I'm actually going to vote for crazy unprecedented. And I wanted to, t- to ask you, Barb, because we've both been U.S. attorneys. I think what Barr did on a Friday evening to Berman with that, you know, didn't even give him a phone call and the unceremonious sacking after some some conversation they had. That's that happens. It's shabby, but that's not unprecedented. But when Berman's rejoinder comes in, he says, no, I'm not leaving publicly and has this kind of standoff that that to me under the circumstances is it makes it really wild and woolly. Yeah, and it may be that Jeffrey Berman has seen what happened in the D.C. U.S. attorney's office. Uh, just to remind listeners what happened there, we had Jesse Liu, who was the U.S. attorney, um, and handling the Roger Stone case, the Michael Flynn case. And uh, she left when she was uh, nominated for a position in the Treasury Department. And that nomination was eventually yanked back. In the interim, she was replaced by Timothy Shea, who was a close aide to William Barr. And during the three months he was acting as U.S. attorney, 
He very quickly changed the sentencing recommendation for Roger Stone to something more lenient and moved to dismiss the case against Michael Flynn. So he got inserted to do the dirty work. You could imagine a similar scenario occurring in the Southern District of New York, and it may be that Jeffrey Berman saw what happened in D.C. and said, I'm not going to be part of whatever drug deal it is William Barr is cooking up, uh, and said, I'm, I'm staying. Um, you know, he made specific reference in his statement to investigations that will continue without fear or favor. Um, he is obliging uh, and complying with DOJ policy about not confirming or denying the existence of investigations and commenting on them. But boy, if you read between the lines, that sure says that there are investigations here uh, that perhaps William Barr doesn't like and that Jeffrey Berman is going to do all he can to see through. And as you say, you know, Berman's a Trump guy. He, he uh, you know, wouldn't have necessarily been expected to be um, out there, but he's obviously totally thrown his lot went in with the culture of SDNY and DOJ to do justice without fear or favor. What, what do you think it's like now? Andrew, you were in the Eastern District, but you have a, I think you have a pretty good sense of the office. What is happening today in the SDNY? We know Berman went to work. You know, is every are all hands now on deck to really push on the the investigations that Barb surmises, and I think are probably right. What are they doing to kind of shore up the ship, waiting for you know the the cannon to come across the crossbow? Well, unfortunately, this is an area where I think what the Southern District of New York is going through is something that career prosecutors across the nation. Um, have uh, been have been required to go through um, being concerned about what will happen to their investigations. Obviously, we've all seen what happened in the Roger Stone case where the career people withdrew from the case or left the department. We've seen the lead prosecutor in the Flynn case withdraw from the case. And so um, I think what's happening in Southern is what is happening um, with responsible career prosecutors um, across the country, which is upholding their oath of office and their oath to the Constitution. Um, and that is, it doesn't matter whether they came in as you know political appointees for one administration or another, whether they started under a Republican or Democratic administration. Um, as everyone on this phone call uh, knows, um, everyone they, that's all irrelevant. This is all about the facts and the law. And I think they're probably hunkering down and doing their work as well as memorializing everything that they are doing and have done. Okay. Let's, let's speculate a little. We are in sort of terra incognita, but we've, we, we know the department, we know the, the levers of power. What kind of things we're going to, we're going to move pretty quickly to what it might look like in courts, but how else can the department and bar make Berman's life miserable if they if they choose to you know what happens if they send marshals to close up his office or you know where do short of courts which we'll get to in a moment what's what are the kinds of uh, tools in Bill Barr's toolbox here well 
Well, one of the things is just the kinds of approvals that every U.S. attorney's office needs from Maine Justice. You know, think about wiretaps. Those all have to be approved by uh, Maine Justice. Uh, anytime you want to appeal um, a, a case, um, you have to uh, get approval about that from the Solicitor General's office. If you want to bring a tax case, you have to get approval from the tax division. Even a public integrity case has to be, you have to provide at least notification to the public integrity section. A terrorism case requires uh, approval of DOJ. Um, besides that, there are the administrative things like the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys controls his computer access. They could cut him off from um, you know, the email system and access of all of those things. So I think if they wanted to, they could make his life pretty miserable, though I imagine it would come at a, at a steep political cost. So to follow up with um, what Barb said, this is one where it's really possessions nine-tenths of the law, and it's a question of whether Barr is going to try and take essentially possession by doing the things that Barb said, including, could also include simply saying, if you do not have the approval of the new acting U.S. attorney, uh, it is nothing's going to be processed. They can also pull the security clearance of uh, Jeffrey Berman. Uh, But one way or the other, this, I think, will land in court. Either it's going to be Jeffrey Berman going to court in the Southern District of New York saying that the uh, president and does not have the power to fire me because I was appointed by you, the Southern District of New York judges, um, or you're going to have, I think, the attorney general going to court saying that he needs to step down. But one way or the other, I think you're going to see litigation over this in a pretty untested um, area of the law. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I, I would say the thing that the, um, the attorney general can't stop um, uh, Berman or anyone else in that office from doing is talking to the press and talking to Congress. And I'm I, thinking about what happened last night and the fact that, you know, we're now, you know, we're, we're uh, ha- almost almost 24 hours later, you know, 20 to 18 hours later. I don't know when, what time this this podcast will drop. And the department still has not given an explanation for what happened last night. It, it seems very clear to me that for all the the talk about Barr as the kind of uber competent um, attorney general who knows how to to push buttons inside the department and make the department bend to his will, this is another example of him trying to do something and having it blow up in his face. I, I can't imagine he expected that when he put out his press release that Berman was going to refuse to leave and say so publicly um, uh, in, in the hours following. And I, I, I have to think whatever has happened in the last week or few weeks that has led up to this attempted firing, um, uh, to Andrew's point, uh, I would expect Berman has been writing memos to the file, uh, has been memorializing everything. And if you're Barr, you now have to have a significant concern that that you are you have walked into a, a massive controversy, and the next step may be um, that you know, Berman sitting in front of a witness table in the House of Representatives telling exactly what he was working on, what you know maybe subpoenas that he was about to send, or subpoenas that he sent, or cases that he wanted to bring and why the Attorney General of the United States tried to shut that down. So while the AG has a lot of kind of procedural levers, boy, it is a dangerous game for him to play. I was just going to ask Matt a question in terms of um, public information strategy. Um, It it seems to me like Barr, you know, served the first time around as Attorney General uh, in 1991 
in the George um, Bush administration, the George H.W. Bush administration. And, um, you know, this idea of issuing um, news that you might want to get buried on a Friday night strikes me as very pre-internet. That, uh, you know, it's the idea that people don't read the newspaper on Saturday and Sunday so you can bury a story by announcing it late on a Friday night. Does that... Does that strategy work in the 21st century? <laughs> no, no uh, uh, not at all, especially something like this. I mean, look, some things you can bury on a Friday night. Firing the U.S. attorney who has, been, who has investigated the president and is currently investigating the president's life, there's no burying that at any time of the week. That's going to be a massive um, story. But, but I think the other thing with Barr, it's, he may be out of step with kind of how the, the media world works, but he also – Everything you hear about the way he runs the department, um, very strong-willed, um, very arrogant, micromanages everything. And this is the second time we've seen him try to manage something and a signal being lost somewhere along the way. What SDNY is out telling reporters today that when Berman hung up with Barr, Barr called and offered him the civil division, and he said no, and that was the end of the conversation. Barr never said you're fired, and the next thing you know, he saw he saw the press release. That brings to me a little bit like what happened when – there was this conversation between the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office and Barr about what the recommended sentence for for uh, Roger Stone would be. And then what was filed in court was not what Barr thought it was going to be. Uh, Barr seems to be, uh, I think, you know, trying to exercise his will, um, not, you know, maybe underestimating the resistance he's going to get from the office, the offices in the previous case, D.C., in this case, SDNY. And then watching it blow up in his face. And now, you know, the day after still kind of no strategy for what to do next, at least not that one that we've seen yet. Look, I think that's right. And that's what I kind of meant by the stunningness of, of Berman. Barb and I were, you know, we're in the position to get the call. And you do think checkmate game over. I mean, we know Barr met with Berman on Friday and was and was in the SDNY and presumably the call for civil is his trying to be friendly and I think he thinks well okay you want to play it your way fine and he doesn't realize what could come after and in truth only in the craziest of circumstances that is 2020 uh would would you expect any US attorney to say well actually I'm uh, I'm sticking around um Barb, you adverted to the the special kind of feature that Berman is court appointed. How do you think? Why, why do you refer to that? How do you think that plays out? You know, maybe we should turn to the legal skirmish or skirmishes um, ahead. You know, it's unusual that Mr. Berman is, as you say, court appointed, and the reason for that is uh, apparently um, Kirsten Gillibrand um, suggested that she would withhold her approval if he went through the normal process of nomination and Senate conversa- confirmation a few years ago. And so instead they went this other route where um, the attorney general first appointed him. And then after 120 days, the court gets to choose um, and, and pick Berman. And, and he's been in that spot in that status ever since. If you look at, there's a couple different statutes, which makes it unclear how you then replace someone like that. It suggests that uh, he gets replaced if the president nominates someone and the Senate confirms that person. But there's another statute that says the, the president may uh, remove U.S. attorneys. And I think under the separation of powers, the way the executive branch works, that still has to be the case, even if the person was selected by the judges. But I, I don't think that means that William Barr gets to put in his, 
his first choice. He wants to install the, as an acting uh, the current U.S. attorney in New Jersey uh, before um, the next U.S. attorney is nominated and Senate confirmed. And I don't think so. It seems to me that in the interim, uh, until there is Senate confirmation of the new nominee, that if there's a replacement, it's the court who gets to replace him. And the court may say, no, we're, we're quite happy with Jeffrey Berman. So I don't know how that's going to play out. I think that is an issue. And we talk about, you know, something that may have to be resolved by the courts. Um, you know, this was a law that was put into place in the George uh, W. Bush administration after the scandal involving the firing of U.S. attorneys. Um, shortly after 9-11, as part of the Patriot Act, there was a law put in place to allow the attorney general to be nimble in replacing U.S. attorneys if they were you know, taken out in a terrorist attack. Um, but to avoid abuse and have a some uh, it, it, and try to evade the Senate confirmation process after the U.S. attorney firing scandal during the George W. Bush administration, um, the law was amended for this this court appointment provision. And in an interesting twist, Jeffrey Berman was appointed under that provision. So although I think President Trump can fire Berman, I don't know that uh, Barr and Trump can install an acting. I think it, the court may get to do that until there is a presidentially nominated and Senate confirmed uh, U.S. attorney there. And Barb, wouldn't you agree that that um, going to court in this situation, uh, whoever does that, could play out to Jeffrey Berman's advantage because e but the government has to the government in the form of uh, Attorney General Barr has to win on both the issue of being able to fire Berman and the issue of being able to replace him with the acting U.S. attorney in New Jersey. Um, and you can imagine Berman prevailing on one or both of those. And if the default happens, which is, let's say, a uh, court says you agrees that they could fire Berman but not replace him, then the chief assistant, who is a, a longtime career prosecutor, uh, in the Southern District of New York, would um, assume the role of the acting U.S. attorney, and this could take several, several months, and we could be, you know, up on the the election at that point. Yeah, and if you think about what's the battle and what's the war here, um, I think the war, the long term strategy here, is delay. As long as Berman is in that position, he can safeguard all of those investigations. And so uh, to the extent the strategy of William Barr was to get him out of the way so that there aren't any uh, indictments filed that uh, are harmful to President Trump, um, if Berman can stay at least through the election, then he can safeguard those so that they are handled appropriately. One thing that's worth noting is that, um, well, I agree completely with Barb, which is the strategy if you're Jeff Berman is delay um, to have this tied up in the courts, because these are... Um, largely novel and complicated issues, um, the attorney general still has other uh, levers. Um, so for instance, he already issued a memo that said for any investigation involving Ukraine, you have to go through the U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of New York, meaning he doesn't want any rogue U.S. attorneys out there. Everything's got to be consolidated and vetted through his pick. And you can imagine the attorney general issuing the same kind of memo with respect to and seeking to have that kind of control over what's going on in the Southern District, even if he's stuck with Berman in the interim. 
though, you know, there's a sort of in for a penny, in for a pound dynamic. Uh, going back to what Matt said, I, you know, I, I think Berman has to play it somewhat carefully, but he is now uh, he's now a rebel soldier outside the lines. And he with with the you know le- possible levers he has in the public and the Congress, he, he might be able to elude some of these direct orders. It's all in all really, really um, precarious for him. What do you, you guys have both you mentioned? So I, I think there will be a kind of race to the courthouse. Berman wants it in SDNY. Barr wants it in D.C. Any sense of how that's going to play out? Might I'll, I'll bet they're already preparing the papers. Yes. Yes, but the one thing I would say is, well, you think that Barr would want it in D.C. because you would imagine the Southern District of New York would try and protect its own turf. The D.C. District Court, at least, um, has certainly had its fill of seeing what this administration is up to. So you have district court judges. Um, Great point. Uh, in, in both who were nominated by judges in both parties who have said, unusually scathing things about this particular attorney general. So they may be playing for the D.C. Circuit or even the Supreme Court uh, to resolve a novel issue. But as as Barb said, that could take quite some time. Yeah, I, I would add to that. The reason Tim Shea, who was Barb's pick to be the U.S. attorney in New York and who um, uh, helped, you know, kind of roll back the actions in the Stone and Flynn cases, the reason he's not no longer the U.S. attorney in D.C. is because the court in D.C. made it very clear that when his 120 days was up, um, they were not going to let him stay in the job. Um, so it's a it's a great point about that court being a little um, uh, annoyed is too weak a word, uh, but, but frustrated with the the department's actions and it, and it makes me wonder um, you think you know trying to if Berman was thinking through how this might play out um, last night before he put out this statement whether he talked to the chief judge in in that district. Um, you know, to let them know what was happening, to let them know what he planned to do, to see if you know, to to you know, see if he had a, a quiet vote of confidence from that corner, um, uh, would have seemed like a smart move to me. There really is a dynamic here, generally, of you know, chickens coming home to to roost. Uh, you know, the um, the department has proceeded in very high handed fashion, contemptuous of. The courts that, uh, in the past, uh, Trump and the department have, je- have filed meritless motions, but just playing for time. And now, you know, the shoe really is on the other foot and the normal presumption of goodwill that the department might enjoy, uh, you know, as Matt said, has been really, um, squandered. So, uh, you know, when they, when they, if they do have to come in front of, the the robes uh it may well be that that they come with really um a, a bad um reputation preceding them all right let's let's sort of think about the bottom line I, um here I, I it seems to me that the department is going to argue that even though this statute as barb said um leaves it to the court I think it's going to be a constitutional argument, right? That, well, that's just not, uh, you know, as applied, that's just not constitutional to tie the president's hands and not permit him to be able to fire, you know, a U.S. attorney. 
And there are, there are dueling precedents there, but I, I, I think the stronger one is probably on the department's side. But it's, it's not straightforward. Um, and I, I think the, the initial question will be whether a court is likely to enter a preliminary injunction to, to um, change the status quo if the department asks for it. But they'll have to say we're likely to prevail and we're really going to get hurt if you don't do it right away. And that's going to be, I think, a tall order to ask a court to, to grant. Do, do you guys see it that way or you, do you think the prospect is maybe uh, more tenable than I do? I don't see the department getting a TRO to allow them to circumvent what's in the statute. I think that the courts will permit the president to fire Jeffrey Berman. I think the statute says that it seems consistent with the separation of powers that, um, you know, imagine some other scenario where the courts appointed uh, a U.S. attorney and he was insubordinate or uh, did things that were not carrying out the president's priorities. I think he has to have the ability to fire. Barb, let me just interrupt you for a second. You think he has to have the ability, but you you think it'll take some months, yes, to actually reach that for a court to reach that point if and they and they won't have preliminarily enjoined it. Uh, under the statute, I think it's possible that DOJ could get a quick answer on their ability, President Trump's ability to fire Jeffrey Berman. But I don't think they can get a quick answer on who replaces him. Um, it seems like um, it's the court that gets to decide or President Trump gets to nominate someone who then has to be Senate confirmed. And so I don't think they're going to be able to show either likelihood of success on the merits um, or irreparable harm, which is necessary to get a temporary restraining order, a preliminary injunction. Um, on that second question, it seems unclear at best and to the extent it is clear, I think uh, it, it suggests a reading that would be against the position that the Department of Justice would be advocating. And so we may see Berman leave, but I don't think he's going to be replaced by uh, Barr's preferred candidate. I think the court is going to get to decide who replaces Berman. Well, I, I think the the one thing that might be a little certain or has become cert, uh, certain over the last 24 hours or so, which is, is that the Senate is not going to uh, confirm, at least certainly is not going to confirm Clayton anytime soon. Uh, two things have happened. One, both senators from New York, Chuck Schumer and Christian Gillibrand, have said that they oppose his confirmation under these circumstances. Uh, and Republicans do have the votes. They could jam someone through. They could jam Clayton through if they wanted to. But notably, uh, Lindsey Graham has come out, who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, has come out and said he is going to honor the blue slip process, which is the process by which home state senator gets to sign off or block a U.S. attorney nominee in their state. So as long as Lindsey Graham is good for, good as his word, and look, I don't trust Lindsey Graham a lot, but he said what he said today for a reason and was trying to send a signal, I think, for, for, for a reason, um, it, they, Clayton is not going to be confirmed as the new U.S. attorney anytime soon. And I, it, I can't imagine that Schumer and Gillibrand are going to change their position uh, under these circumstances. So that leaves you in this position where um, uh, if Barb is right, um, and it, it does seem uncertain, you're, you're in the, a position where the court gets to decide who is the U.S. attorney for the time being. And I guess we all agree that that person is likely to be a, a real professional stalwart, like the first assistant U.S. attorney 
in Manhattan now. And that, if anything, is, you know, leaving the frying pan and into the fire for um, Trump. Um, all right. You know, this is going to start playing out and getting so complicated, I think, starting this afternoon. But maybe um, and I think we'll be reconvening and following it kind of for for a while, including finding out just what happened. That'll be part of what's up with Congress. But maybe uh, we can Im- I'll impose our own um, five words or fewer final uh, feature with with everybody here and just ask um, what are what are the odds that either Berman or a you know professional uh, AUSA is U.S. attorney say the end of September by the end of September at the end of September. I'll take that on. I'll say extremely strong. Um, I think it's extremely likely that that you're going to have either uh, Jeffrey Berman or Audrey Strauss, uh, who's the chief assistant uh, as the U.S. attorney. I don't. I totally agree with the legal analysis and the sort of play, game, playing this out um, that Barb set forth. I'll get you one in five words, Harry. Berman out, court's choice in. Wow. Okay. Barb, it's like haiku. <laughs> uh, I agree with Barb and Andrew. I think that's six words. <laughs> yes, but I think Berman. All right. So that's that's we're on the the record there. But you know, between here and there, there are so many maneuvers, and I'm I'm find um a, myself a little bit uncertain trying to imagine all the things that Bill Barr can do besides the law, other than, you know, beating him up with a pipe in the garage. But you just have to imagine that Barr, everything is on the line here. It's a battle that, you know, he he will want in the in the dearest way not to lose. Um, all right, Feds, first, thanks very much for convening so quickly. And, you know, this is a pretty big day. I just um, want to serve it up for anybody's final thoughts who who uh, feels they've they've got some things to say that were left unsaid. I, I, I have something. I think the big unanswered question is, did Bill Barr attempt to fire um, Jeffrey Berman because of a general threat to the to the president or people close to the president? You know, with five months to go, they couldn't have an independent prosecutors sitting out there who might do something harmful at any moment? Or is there a specific threat that he learned about in in the last few days? And uh, it's a scandal either way, but the answer to that question is going to determine how big of a scandal this is over the next few weeks and months. Yeah, and you raise the possibility, Matt, that we already know about a number of investigations that implicate President Trump from uh, the inauguration to Deutsche Bank and um, Rudy Giuliani and Jeffrey Epstein, is there something else? Is there some other investigation? And to zoom further out from uh, what uh, Barb and Matt have said, I think this is one more step that really raises the alarm of the rule of law being dramatically undermined by, of all people, the Attorney General of the United States. Yeah. And I'll just add two postscripts. One is every day that this that that Barr and especially Trump's um, 
goals aren't met here, Trump is going to be going crazier and crazier and crazier. He hates to lose, and 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 now it it will just be you know jammed down his throat in a way that will make him apoplectic. That's one. And the second, I just want to note, others have about the real wild card here of the Congress. You know, what happens Wednesday if Berman says, okay, I'll talk and, and shows up before Nadler's committee and, and Barr make, makes him try to stop. It's going to be quite a, quite a, um, uh, you know, brouhaha and a tangled web. Thank you very much to Barb, Andrew, and Matt. And thank you, listeners, uh, for tuning in to this Talking Feds Now special episode. Uh, Talking Feds is produced by Jennifer Bassett and Rebecca Lowe Patton. Justin Wright is our editor. Andrea Carla Michaels, our contributing producer. Um, production assistance by Ayu Ashibamero and Sam Trachtenberg and contributing writers David Lieberman and Rosie Dawn Griffin. We'll be uh, back very soon, uh, just a a day or two after this, with a regular um, uh, episode. But uh, between now and then, keep following what's what's happening in D.C. and the Southern District of New York. Talking Feds is a production of Delito LLC. I'm Harry Littman. See you next time.